South Sudan may not be a country we talk about very much. In fact, many people may not even know exactly where it is. It's it's a landlocked country in Central Africa. It has supported by Ethiopia, Sudan, from which it gained independence in 2011. The Central African Republic, Democratic Republic of Congo, Uganda, and Kenya. Its population is about 13 million. And since 2011, when it gained independence, it has been struggling to find its feet. It entered a long and violent civil wars. Soon after that, a peace deal was signed in 2018, but there's been little sign that it's being implemented. Add to that the impacts of climate change, which have hit that area hard. It is almost all agrarian. And now the war in Ukraine, which is driving up the prices of staples. It is also a country where more and more people, more and more of those nearly 13 million people, are going hungry, facing the real risk of starvation. And now funding has become an issue. The World Food Program, which is on the ground in South Sudan, has said earlier that it's suspending food aid to about 1.7 million people in the country as the war in Ukraine sucks funding from the world's crisis-plagued youngest country. It's also causing the prices of staples to soar, as I mentioned, uh, and that is causing issues as well. On the front lines of all this is a Canadian. She was born in Egypt but moved to Nova Scotia uh, when she was about 9 or 10, uh, was educated there and then set out and has now worked in many other trouble spots around the world, including Iraq, including Syria. And joining me now is Marwa Awad. She is with the World Food Program in South Sudan. Welcome to the show. Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. So for listeners who may not be familiar with the country, it is a new country, a relatively new country. It's only been independent for about a decade. And uh, what is the situation there right now? And why is it so important to raise awareness about what's happening in South Sudan? South Sudan is witnessing its worst uh, food crisis since uh, it gained independence uh, in 2011. So it's it's a, a fragile nation of 12 million people who are trying to build their lives after independence. Uh, but unfortunately, the odds seem to be uh, tremendous, especially because of the climate crisis that has taken shape and come to the fore very visibly over the past three years. Uh, the country has been um, pretty much flooded uh, for the most part, for most of the year, because of the increase in rainfall and also the um, the River Nile, uh, the banks of the uh, River Nile overflowing. Uh, this has resulted in this unprecedented crisis of displacement, where hundreds of thousands of people are constantly being uprooted because their villages are uh, being submerged, their land is, is swallowed up by, uh, by the water, and their crops destroyed, precious crops that people rely on. 87% of uh, the people of South Sudan population rely on uh, subsistence farming, so they grow their own food. Uh, and so uh, uh, this has been a uh, qu- quite a vicious cycle of ongoing flooding. Of course, there's conflict. There is a um, very diverse society where a lot of groups and communities uh, try to coexist. But because the country is so underdeveloped, uh, mostly, there is this constant uh, competition over resources and the sharing of those resources. And so unfortunately, that um, in more in in many cases leads to uh, the um, the conflict that you hear about in the media. 
But this year has been particularly difficult because with the uh, war in Ukraine, uh, a uh, global crisis in food, the availability of food, the, the prices uh, of, of food commodities and, and also fuel. And that has had its knock-on effects on South Sudan. It's yeah. uh, we're, we're living in a very uh, tightly knit, tightly connected world. Even the youngest country, South Sudan, where less than 2% of the road network, for example, is, is, is paved, which means there isn't a lot of commerce, there isn't a lot of electricity. But even this country, this tiny country, a new country, is being affected by the crisis um, in Ukraine. Yeah, as a member of the world, as a representative of the World Food Program, obviously you have a specific focus when you're there. How much more difficult has it become? And I understand that even the World Food Program has had to make some make some tough choices when it comes to who it can provide for and when and how. Yes, we've had to make a lot of tough choices recently because, of course, the uh, the the funds have uh, gone down, unfortunately, and understandably so because so many crises have been. Uh, popping up everywhere, uh, mostly man-made, unfortunately. Uh, and as a result, we've had to uh, do humanitarian triage, which is the hardest thing that any humanitarian or aid worker must do, because uh, the core of our mandate is to leave no one behind. Uh, but because of the, the difficulties that we've been facing, being severely underfunded, uh, and at the same time, um, a lot of the crises piling up, and a lot of problems continuing, uh, we've had to make a decision on basically who gets our food assistance and who can wait until more funding um, uh, comes in. How do you, I mean, how does that decision, I mean, who is being left out when you have to make those decisions? It's a very painful decision. Um, we've We've been saying it's taking food from the hungry to feed the starving. Uh, and and this is to to point to the fact that everyone needs help in South Sudan. There is seven point seven million people who are severely food insecure, which means they cannot guarantee their next meal. Of the seven point seven million, there is a core group that cannot survive without food assistance. They would die if we don't reach them on a daily basis. Uh, this is about eighty seven thousand people. Those people we've had to prioritize and we continue to give assistance to. In addition to that, there is nearly 3 million people who are one step away from this catastrophic level of hunger. They are literally just, you know, knocking on famine's door. And so we've had to also uh, prioritize them to continue to, to, to give assistance to them. So currently we're reaching 4.5 million people. Uh, across the uh, the country, and that's down from 6.2 million. So we've had to suspend assistance to about a third of, of the amount of people that we've been reaching, mainly because the funding has gone down and also because the needs keep rising. So you have a situation where funds cannot keep pace with the needs, and the needs are increasing sadly prominently now because of the uh, the um, climate crisis mainly flooding that has swallowed up i think about two-thirds of arable land in the country so 
two thirds of the farmers out there don't have a land to grow food on. Uh, so it's uh, it's very hard. And then to tell those people that um, are not in these severe conditions, but are still struggling because they still live in an isolated area or an area where uh, food prices are very high, um, to tell them that, look, we're, we're really unable to reach you and to put your daughters and your sons uh, in school through our school meals program because your brethren elsewhere are really knocking on famine's door and we need to, to give them that food. Um, it's been hard. I was in the field recently and one woman, uh, an old woman who's, you know, you, you can tell she's gone through a lot. She's lived through a long time. Uh, and she she told me, please take me with you. And I told her, uh, I will come back for you. I mean, the, the, the World Food Program is here to tell you we're with you and we're doing our best. Turn. And she, but my daughter, if you return, you might not find me. You might only find the trees. And that to me was, uh, you know, extremely profound and also poetic. It just showed me how, you know, the, the, the people there are so attached to their land, but it also made me realize, okay, this is, this is really a crisis. And that's why I was saying earlier that this is the worst that the country has, has seen in a very long time. I'm speaking with Marwa, Marwa Awad. She's an aid worker from Canada who's in South Sudan now with the World Food Program. She's speaking to us tonight from Juba. We're talking about what is a crisis situation many countries are facing with the both with the climate crisis exacerbating already delicate ecosystems, but also with the war in Ukraine uh, causing the price of a lot of basic goods. In, in the case of, of Sudan, it's maize and sorghum. Uh, the price of those things is being driven up by the higher cost for other grains, uh, prompted in part by the war in Ukraine. When we come back just a bit more about what can be done to try to help a country like South Sudan and a bit more about Marwa's journey as well. As, as I mentioned, she's uh, been she's from Canada, but grew up in Egypt, uh, then came here and then has been in many other parts of the world, seen many a crisis, but obviously this one, uh, another difficult and profound one that we should know more about. And that's next. My guest this half hour is Marwa Awad. Uh, she's a Canadian aid worker in South Sudan with the World Food Program. She's speaking to us tonight from Juba. We're talking about... Uh, a very difficult situation right now in what is the world's youngest country, South Sudan, uh, just a little over, over a decade after independence, and how it's struggling uh, to feed its people right now with a combination of both drought uh, as well as flooding uh, and the war in Ukraine driving up the price of everything. Uh, Marwa, what needs to be done in the short term for a country like South Sudan? Because as you well know, having been to so many places, you know, crises have a way of, of displacing each other and crises mm -hmm. then get ignored in places like South Sudan do fall off, fall off the radar. And it's difficult to, to, to get people to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Definitely advocacy, definitely uh, making sure voices of the people reach uh, to all the corners of the globe. Um, making sure that listeners uh, are aware of uh, the troubles and the struggles and hopes and dreams of the people of South Sudan, of course, and and of other countries as well. I mean, we're we're one big family uh, living together on this planet, and that's all we have. And so, uh, knowing that uh, this young nation, South Sudan, is struggling because of a climate crisis not of its own making. I mean, South Sudan is 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 a very young country and it's it's not industrialized, it's underdeveloped. So uh, the climate crisis is not 
uh, something that the people are aware of or have contributed to. And yet they're the they're the ones on the forefront of this uh, of of this uh, apocalypse, so to speak. Uh, after after um, advocacy comes action, and I believe that we're seeing this happen. Uh, recently, I I was in the field and I took um, a lot of uh, uh, colleagues from uh, journalists and I took them to the field and 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 through their powerful reporting and bearing witness, uh, we got a lot of. Uh, gifts or donations from people who were just watching uh, these reports. Um, one of them was of this child who has been pulled out of school by her parents because uh, the, she is no longer receiving uh, food assistance, which acts as an incentive for the parents to send the child to school uh, because we're, we're speaking, we're talking about very uh, poor families or families who have uh a very limited uh, um, purchasing power. So we, we incentivize them by sending their children to school. And unfortunately, because we had to suspend uh, the uh, school meals uh, program in her school, her parents thought the best thing for her would be to, to get married. And they, uh, she's 14, unfortunately, and she was getting uh, married to a 25-year-old uh, in exchange, of course, for a dowry of 60 cows. And unfortunately, it was heartbreaking to see this because even the cows were so skinny because uh, a lot of the grazing land has been um, flooded and just washed away and the animals don't don't have enough food to eat. Uh, and so that story moved a lot of viewers and, and, and we got a lot of feedback of people asking, how can we help? And I really think this is the uh, the most important, valuable thing to highlight is that uh, getting people interested enough to to want to do something not just for this child but for any anyone else in south sudan and across the world so having that that push and that incentive to to take action is so profoundly needed at this time Marwa, you were telling me earlier that you you know you were born in egypt you came to canada when you were fairly, fairly young went to school here went back out into the world to uh to make a difference i would assume and that's what you've done you've worked in a lot of uh difficult places syria uh as well as iraq you're in you're in 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 uh, jordan now you're in south sudan how do you keep going how do you i mean these are very challenging places both to live to work and to make a difference uh, what keeps you motivated and what keeps you inspired to keep working I mean, ever since uh, my first deployment, which was in Iraq, I've thought about my privilege a lot. Just the, the the assumption that I always had for safety and the kind of uh, secure lifestyle that I had, the education that I enjoyed uh, growing up in Canada and also in Egypt, and then coming as as a a grown woman uh, and you know and um, a professional to work in a country like South Sudan that's taking its steps towards uh, nation building and nationhood and seeing uh, that that trajectory or journey, it really humbles me a lot and it makes me uh, really want to help and just to leave, to take a part of South Sudan with me uh, when I go and I tell people about it, but also to leave my mark by helping someone or telling someone's story. And, and Marwa, I guess you don't, you have to remain optimistic, right? All through it, all through the challenges. Absolutely. Uh, there is no other way. Uh, optimism is is a must because there is definitely a solution and there is definitely room for improvement. I mean, right now we're seeing 
a lot of uh, donor countries, countries that are uh, following closely uh, the situation in South Sudan, eager to help and eager to uh, to understand how how different can their help be in the future. So we have emergency assistance, like I was referencing uh, earlier, the uh, emergency food uh, rations that we give, but we also work to build resilience for uh, the populations in the communities. And I was uh, visiting an area in Jonglei, uh, which is one of the, the most underdeveloped areas in, uh, in South Sudan and very badly hit by the floods. And we had a peace building program that ran for the entire year in 2021. And the results were amazing. There were communities that were initially not getting along, but because we moved in, we asked what their, their needs were and we provided them with those needs, which were uh, ranging from building community assets, such as water holes so that they have access to water, to um, uh, uh, supporting them to, to rejuvenate their land, or at least the land that's still dry and can be used, supporting them with seeds, things like that, made a huge difference for several communities. And now they have a modicum of stability. So uh, it, it, it's definitely, I'm hopeful for the country. And I think that a country where 70% of its population is uh, youth, just young people, really has no way but to be hopeful because there's just so much energy and spirit for uh, a better future. Well, Marwa Awad, thank you so much for sharing your story with us tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.